You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. Welcome to our study through the Book of Acts. We're calling it, We Are All Witnesses, Part 2. I want to invite you to grab your Bible, turn to the Book of Acts, and get ready to study God's Word with us. to be with you today to get into God's Word. Um, hey, I've had uh, some fun this week watching some baseball. I don't know if you guys have as well. Um, some of you know, not at all. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, watching baseball, they always have these like crazy interviews with players who have the most remarkable things to say. Well, what were you guys hoping to accomplish tonight? Well, we were hoping to score more runs than the other team, and we did our best to do that. It's like every single interview with a player ends up having some quotable like that. And it, it actually reminds me of the greatest baseball quotable person of all time, Yogi Berra. Uh, Yogi Berra was a, uh, a baseball legend, a catcher, and uh, he had all of these famous Yogi-isms. You've probably heard some of them even if you don't know about him. One of the things that he said about baseball that was super insightful was he said, you know, baseball is it's 90% mental. And the other half is physical. <laughs> but Yogi had a lot of things to say that weren't about baseball at all, just about life. He, he said, you know, no one ever goes to that place anymore because it's far too crowded. Some of you will get that later. He said, you know, you should always go to other people's funerals. Otherwise, they're not going to go to yours. <laughs> uh, he would say, you know, it's like deja vu all over again. But one thing that he said that I believe is very true is he said, it ain't over till it's over. You see, in 1973, his team was very far behind in the standings, and people asked him about how his team was doing, and he said, you know, it ain't over till it's over. And that statement ended up being true because his team rallied from behind and ended up winning the division that year to prove it ain't over till it's over. You see, when everything seems like there's no chance of a positive outcome, it ain't over till it's over. And even for a person who seems very, very far from the Lord, Lord, there's no chance that you're working in that person's life. Lord, this situation that's happening in my life, there is no chance. It is over, we would say. But it ain't over till it's over. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your perfect word and the way that you instruct us from it. Would you do that today? Open our minds and our eyes and our hearts to what you would have us to see in your word. May we be stirred and encouraged and challenged because of it in a way that helps us to follow you in a greater way with our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're continuing in our study of the book of Acts. If you couldn't tell from that cool uh, bumper video uh, that just happened a moment ago. So grab your Bible, turn over to Acts. We're in Acts 9 this week. We're going to be looking at a somewhat familiar story, uh, but the gospel has been continuing to spread. 
We've seen that it was in Jerusalem and then all Judea and then Samaria. And then last week we talked about uh, Philip sharing the gospel with the Ethiopian man. And so the gospel's beginning to reach the uttermost parts of the earth. And it's exciting. But as that's happening, persecution and suffering for God's people is also continuing to grow. It's growing and growing as all of these things are happening. And today, we're looking at the story, the account of someone who, from all human perspectives, would appear very far from the Lord. That person is never following Jesus. In fact, they're an enemy of the Lord. All of us know people and have a heart for people who would seem to be far from Jesus, that person that comes to your mind when you think about someone far from the Lord. I, I long for them to turn to Jesus Christ, but it doesn't look like that's happening anytime soon. We've all thought about the things that we might say to that person. I, 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 I wish you would stop acting like that. I, I, I wish you would stop hurting yourself. Maybe we would say, I just, I wish they knew that the Lord could heal them if they would just. Or maybe we would say, I'm going to tell them about the love of Jesus Christ and how much of an idiot they are in the love of Christ. We have lots that we might want to say to those people. Some things that are harsh and some things that are loving and compassionate, but so many things that go through our mind, if they would just get this, Maybe they would turn to the Lord. But the better question isn't what would I say to that person, what do I think that they need to hear, but what is it exactly that Jesus would say to that person? I mean, we see from the Gospels that Jesus doesn't interact with every person in the same way. He comes to each of us individually with what we need in the moment. But we can see clearly from Acts 9 what he says to Saul. A person who would appear to be very, very far from the Lord. And we can see that there is no one so far gone that the Lord can't reach. There is no situation in your life or in my life that God can't intervene and change in an instant. And we can see that from our text today. And hopefully we can see that in our own lives. But let's look at the text. Acts 9, beginning in verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly, here it is, suddenly, a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. 
So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Jesus would say to Saul here, stop. Stop what you're doing. Stop your persecution. Stop fighting against me. Stop. We return here to the story of Saul. We've talked about him before. You remember him. He was the one approving of Stephen's execution, holding everybody's coats as they were throwing stones to murder Stephen, a follower of Jesus Christ. And then after that, we saw in Acts that he was carrying out great persecution. He was dragging people away from their homes into prison because they followed Jesus Christ. And here he is at it again, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He's, he's on his way to track down more Christians. And Jesus says, stop. Right at the moment when he's at his worst, Jesus says to him, stop. This is the first of three conversion accounts in the book of Acts for the person of Saul. Uh, this is the one that we hear that Luke tells us about. The other two in, in Acts 22 and Acts 26 are where Saul is telling the story of what happened to him. Later in Acts, we'll, we'll know him as Paul or the Apostle Paul. He ends up writing a good portion of the New Testament. Paul is his Latin name. Saul is his Hebrew name, which he's known by. And here is where he meets Jesus for the first time and his life is changed suddenly. Unlike the Ethiopian man that we studied last week who was seeking the Lord, had gone to Jerusalem from such a far way, such a far place away, Saul is, is against the Lord. He's on his way to Damascus for the purpose of fighting against Jesus and his followers. He's very sure of what he believes in all of that. He's zealous for his Beliefs. He's giving his time and his effort and all of his opportunities to opposing Jesus and his message. He's in the middle of it. And we would say he's, he's too far gone. I mean, he's, he's like right at it right now. But God is just about to move. Jesus speaks a clear and authoritative message in this passage, he doesn't make suggestions to Saul. He's not like, you know, I mean, maybe if you want to do like, if you feel like it, if not, no worries. No, he's very clear. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He tells him to stop immediately. It shows to me that Jesus is in complete and total control. A flash of light and a few words, and the greatest opponent of Christianity is on his face in the dirt, blind, in a moment. Whatever is happening in your life, whatever you are seeing, whatever person is in your life that you feel like God can't reach them, in an instant, because God is in total control. We would often stand over the rubble and the ruins of our lives and say, God, why don't you act in this? Where are you? 
Is this just too far gone? Is it over? But in an instant, Jesus Christ acts and is so encouraging to me in this because he says, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. You see, Jesus sees persecution and suffering against his people as a personal thing. He takes it very personally. So when you're in the middle of a season of suffering, Jesus takes that as his own. He sees that as him suffering, as his persecution. There's incredible comfort in this, that the Lord sees what's going on in your life, each one of us. He sees the pain that you feel. He feels the things that you feel when you stand over something and feel like, when is this ever going to change? He sees it all and he's watching everything that's happening. He sees everything that Saul is doing to his people and he says in an instant, stop. It stops now. He says to Saul, stop your persecution, stop your fighting against me, stop your running and all of the wrestling. And I wonder if that is a message for someone today in the same authoritative way that Jesus spoke to Saul. Maybe he's speaking to you through his word here today saying that same word, stop. You've been entrenched in sin, continuing in poor decisions that you know will lead you nowhere good, but you keep at it. You keep choosing yourself over others. You keep choosing what you want to do in the moment over what is right and good. You keep making choices that hurt those around you because of how you feel or because of what you want in that split second. Running from and rebelling against the Lord and against his word. And maybe that's the word for you. Stop. Stop your fighting. Stop your wrestling with God. Stop your running from him and rebelling against him and come to Jesus because no person is too far gone. Even though it may look dark right now, it ain't over till it's over. Here we see the incredible grace and sovereignty of our Lord. I mean, he, he could have just like zapped Saul for all that he had done in the past. I, I can think of a lot of people in my life that I love that are far from the Lord and I'm longing for them to come to the Lord. But I don't think any of them have ever killed Christians. And yet our loving Savior, an authoritative, firm word to Saul, stop but compassion, that he doesn't leave him in that or just annihilate him in the moment, but calls him to himself. It's incredible grace. So for those who are far from the Lord, there's grace for you. Hear the strong word of the Lord and fall on your face before him because of his incredible love and his mercy. He would say, stop. Stop your running, stop your fighting, and come to him. Let's continue in the text. 
Back in verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. See, here's the sovereignty again. He recognizes him. Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, which can we just agree is not really a great name for a street, but that's what it's called. The street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he's praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Jesus' word here is go. Jesus says go. Both to Ananias and then to Saul at this moment. This guy, Ananias, we've never heard of him before. And we don't ever hear of him again. But he's used in this moment for an incredible spread of the gospel. Little spoiler alert, Saul would turn to take the gospel to thousands of people all around that region. We'll read later in different parts of, of Acts and different parts of the New Testament about his missionary journeys and all of the places. Some of those cool maps in the back of your Bible with all those fancy lines, that's Saul going to carry the gospel to all of these people. And it all started with Ananias, one guy who was there and said, here I am, Lord. He recognizes that the Lord is speaking to him. And he's like, I, I, I'm here, what do you need? And I love it because the Lord, at first glance, doesn't ask him to do anything really difficult. He doesn't ask anything big of him. Just go to this specific place on this street at that guy's house, find this guy by name, and pray for the guy. And he's gonna receive his sight and receive the Holy Spirit. And I think at each one of our campuses, if we were to ask, how many of you would be willing to pray with somebody else today? A lot of people would be like, oh, absolutely, I would do that. That's not that hard. I would love to come pray with somebody. But the hard thing is who he's praying for. He's like, great, great, Lord, no, no problem. I, I can pray. I'm, yeah, I'm, he says he's a devout mate. So, okay, great. I, I can pray for somebody. There's, there's, just, there's just one thing. Because, <laughs> Lord, I... I thought you said Saul. I mean, I might have some earwax or something like that, but I really thought you said Saul, and surely it can't be that Saul, right? I mean, I mean, I mean that, that guy? Because he came, the whole reason he's here in J Damascus is because he wants to throw people like me in, in prison. You, you, you want me to go to that, that Saul? I totally understand. I understand his fear and his, wait, 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 did I really hear you right, Lord? But Ananias is forgetting one thing. He was at one point far from the Lord. I was at one point 
far from the Lord. You were at one point far from the Lord. Oh, you may not have been killing Christians and dragging them off to prison, but scripture says that you and I were enemies of God. And in a moment, he spoke to us. He revealed himself to us, and he saved us miraculously. No matter how long you've been following the Lord, no matter how much you've grown in your relationship with Jesus, don't ever forget that apart from his love and his grace and his compassion towards you, you were an enemy of God. We should be the quickest of all people to accept those who turn from their sins to the Lord. We should be quick to accept those people into the fellowship of believers because we remember that we were far from the Lord. I remember where I was when I knelt beside that bed with a Bible open and had the gospel explained to me and I turned from my sins to Jesus Christ. I was an enemy of God and I became a friend of God. I became, I went from an enemy to an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Don't ever forget the immense, immeasurable mercy of God on your life because of his incredible love. We have brought nothing to our salvation except the sin that we need forgiven. The Lord doesn't answer any of Ananias' concerns here. He doesn't say, oh, don't worry. It's all right, I promise. He's, <laughs> he's over that taking people to prison thing. That, that's not, you know, I saved him. And he's totally changed. Don't worry. He's not going to arrest you. He doesn't say any of that. He starts with one word, go. Just go. And somehow, in some way, for every single one of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, that is the word for us. It's go. It looks different for each of us where he's sending us and what he might do with us, but for every one of us who've turned from our sins and trusted Jesus Christ by faith, the Great Commission is for us. Go and make disciples. The assignment might look different at times for different people, but the message is the same. The message is go. Go. He's placed you at that job, in that school, in that home, around those people so that you would go and make disciples. It's not for you. It's not for me. It's for them and for him so that we would go make disciples. And we see Ananias did that. He actually did go, even though he had some reservations and was a little scared about some things. He did. He went and did what he was told. And Ananias' message about Saul is that Saul is a, it says he's a chosen instrument of the Lord. Like, every one of you has a favorite burner on your stove at home. It's my chosen instrument. It's the, the one on the front left for me. Some people it's the front right, or some people like the one at the back. It doesn't really matter which one you use, but that's your chosen instrument of heating the water or whatever you end up 
putting on it. It's a chosen, that's, that's just, it's the one that I, I like. I like to use that one because I have a plan for it. And the Lord says at the very beginning, as he saves Saul, I've got a plan for him. I'm going to use him to reach people for me. What incredible grace this is that he's gone from an enemy, he's miraculously saved, and not just saved, he's the chosen instrument. He's going to be used by God for his purposes. It's both a conversion and a commission for Saul, and that's what each one of us receive. When we are saved, we, we receive a conversion. We're changed in a moment, and we are sent out. He's done that for each of us and will continue to use us because we are chosen instruments. When you've been placed in that apartment building, at that job, at that school, at that place, you're there because you're chosen by God as an ambassador for him. So put it to good use. Go for him. Here he's told, too, that Saul will suffer greatly. It's a happy message to receive right when you trust Jesus. Welcome to Jesus. You're going to suffer. And because I love you, you're going to suffer. I'm going to suffer. It will happen for those of us who follow Jesus. Here the great persecutor of the faith will become the persecuted. The one who caused great suffering for so many will endure such great suffering because of Jesus. And this is absolutely true of Saul. I counted this week 40 times through his writings throughout the New Testament, Paul uses the word suffering in his writings. Here's a familiar passage where he's actually boasting, he's bragging about the suffering that he has. He says, but if anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman. He can't even help himself here because he's talking crazy. And then he talks about all of his sufferings with far greater labors far more imprisonments, just like he did to others, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, Danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship, and through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. He suffered greatly, and he boasted about it. He counted it as joy. Here's another familiar passage, Philippians 3. 
Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He says all of the suffering, all of it was worth it. We've seen a lot in the book of Acts about suffering and about persecution, and I, I feel like we've talked about suffering a whole lot the last month or so. And if it's not here in your life, it's coming. And I say that because I love you, and I say that because I don't want you to be surprised when it happens, and I say that because I don't want you to fall away from the grace of the living God. Because I think a lot of times in our American Christianity, we think like, I'll come to Jesus and there'll be this miraculous conversion story and then everything will be happy for me. And as long as I do it just like God's word has to say, everything will go smoothly. Eh. That is not the message of the Bible. That is not what Jesus promises. He actually promises in this world you will have trouble. There is suffering for those of us who follow Jesus Christ. At times, great suffering. It's supposed to be hard, but it's worth it. The suffering is all worth it because it's there for a purpose and the Lord is with us in the midst of the trial so that his name would be great and his trust would grow in our lives through all of it. He does that in us and through us. And when that suffering happens, we are so often the people who would say, like, this is just too much. It's over and it, it's just, listen, I don't want you to be surprised when it happens. Saul wasn't surprised. He was told at the very beginning, you're, you're gonna suffer, but I'm gonna use you for incredible things for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's going to be worth it. And he's told at the very beginning to go, to go where he sends us. Jesus says to him, stop, and then Jesus says to him and to Ananias, go. And then lastly, Jesus says, see. Let's finish reading our text, Acts 9, 17. And Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. See, by the time that Ananias gets there, do you notice what he calls him? He must have accepted what the Lord's message was to him that he had saved him because right away he calls him this, Brother Saul. By the time that he gets there, even though he's, he's had some reservations, he gets there and he recognizes that the Lord has worked in him and he accepts him into the fellowship of believers as a brother, Brother Saul. But what Saul needed in this moment 
out of this whole encounter was a change in his spiritual sight. And the Lord used the physical sight of Saul to display that to him. You see, Saul's so confident of the way that he sees the world. He's sure of what he believes and what he thinks is right, and yet he's so far off because he's spiritually blind. He was so far off of the truth, even though he believed with his whole heart in what he was doing. Have you ever been so sure of something that was so wrong? My, my wife, uh, years ago, uh, started taking yoga classes, and she took a class that was a hot yoga class, and she's like, I'm taking this hot yoga class, and I'll, I'll tell you how it is, and I was like, great, so when you get back, can you, can you show me some of it? Hot yoga, you know? She's like, you dope. It's not that kind of hot. The room is hot. That's why they call it that. I, I was so sure, and I was so wrong. Still mad about that. And not that long ago, I was at uh, Wendy's, and you know, like you walk up and you order your food, and then you sort of step to the side and you stand there and wait. Um, so I'm standing there waiting, and with a friend of mine, and I'm talking, and you know, they put the tray there and set some fries on it and a drink. And so as I'm talking with them, I'm, I'm eating fries, and I'm just you know, I, I, don't know, I felt like I ate like half the thing of fries while I was waiting. I was like, what is this? What's taking so long with this chicken sandwich? But then, then the guy behind the counter like sets a burger down, and I. I started to say, I didn't order that. And just as the words were about to come out of my fry-filled mouth, uh, a hand reached from behind and said, excuse me, and grabbed the tray, and a guy walked off with his food and half of his fries. (laughs) I was so sure that those were my fries. And I ate them like they were my fries. And I was so wrong. You see, Saul is so sure of his way of seeing things here. He thinks that my eyes see the world exactly like it is. There's this person that they say is named Jesus, and supposedly he rose from the dead, and now all these people are fanatic about it. They're so wrong. That is not the way to follow the Lord. He believes that he has a correct view of the world, and he is dead wrong. And the Lord is revealing it to him. This encounter leaves him unable to see. This bright light, his later account in uh, Acts 22 actually says that he saw Jesus there as well. So the last thing he sees is a blinding light and Jesus and then complete darkness for several days until Ananias comes to him. This encounter leaves him unable to see until he's prayed for by a brother in Christ. And this encounter with Jesus Christ confronts him with his own spiritual blindness so that he recognizes that spiritual sight comes only from Jesus Christ. And in a moment, he truly sees the world for the first time. To show you your spiritual blindness and make you truly see. That's what Jesus does for us when he comes to us in an instant. He's done it for so many here. And many of you who may be far from Jesus might think, I I I could never be accepted because of what I've done. 
I mean, look at all of this stuff that I have done with my life and what a mess I have made. But there's grace for you. There's grace for the, what we would say, the ultimate enemy of Jesus Christ. There's grace and forgiveness and love for any of us, for anything that we have done or could do against him. Nothing you could ever do could separate you from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. So come to him, experience his grace and his forgiveness and his mercy and see the shame and the fear and the blindness eradicated from your life. Oh, suffering will be there, but sight will be as well. That we will see the world as it truly is. This message of Saul, an enemy of Jesus Christ, that's changed in an instant, shows us that nothing is too difficult for the Lord. If you're waiting over a situation to change. The days turn to weeks and months and years and still, Lord, I, I don't see anything different. I don't see how this could ever change. Nothing is too difficult for the Lord. It's not over, even though it may seem like it, the Lord can work in a moment. It ain't over till it's over. Don't give up. And if you're praying or you're waiting on somebody who seems far from Jesus, that person who's on your prayer list week after week after month after year after decade, as you pray for that person who just seems to get further from the Lord, in an instant, the Lord can change a person. The Lord can reveal themselves to a person. He did it with Saul. He can do it for your person. He can do it for that person that you're praying for, on your knees for, day after day. So don't stop praying for them. Don't give up. Don't give up in that circumstance, that amount of suffering that you're going through right now. Continue to look to the Lord, he can change it in an instant, and while you're waiting for him to change it, you can take comfort in the fact that he is with you in that moment. That no situation is too far for God to redeem, no person is too far for God to ransom. Even the hardest heart can be softened by Jesus Christ in a moment. The greatest enemy of God can become a servant of God and can be used by him to spread the gospel as a chosen instrument. Not because of anything in and of ourselves, but because of his incredible love and mercy that falls upon each one of us in an instant. It ain't over till it's over. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for this account that we see of your servant, Saul, for the ways that you worked so clearly in a moment in his life. And Lord, I would pray for the one who is standing over a difficult situation in their life, maybe suffering, maybe a trial, maybe a person they're waiting for to change, 
God, in the days when it feels like it's too far gone, would you give them hope, give them comfort from an account like this to see that you can work in a very, in just a moment. And so, Lord, we would pray that you would work in some of those moments this week that suddenly lives would be changed this week. We pray that this wouldn't just be a story that we see on a page of your word, but it would be a reality in our own lives and that we would take these things to heart, that you would encourage our hearts because of it, that you would help us to see the incredible ways that you use Paul in the future to transform that region and the entire world for the gospel. And all of it started suddenly, in a moment. The domino fell And sight was had for the first time ever. So Lord, would you do that in our midst? Would you do that in our lives this week? Help us to have incredible hope and security that's found in you as we wait for you to work. We trust you, Lord, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. For more information and how to get connected to one of our campuses, go to harvestbible.org. Tune in again next week for another edition of the Harvest Bible Chapel podcast.